So tonight we are finishing. Um, before we go back to singing, I feel like there's a lot of people frowning at me. I know how you feel. It's okay. I'm like, hey, church, let's just sing. Okay, but we're doing halal tonight, the Hebrew word halal, which means to boast or to rave or to celebrate foolishly. So we're not talking about the food. We're talking about the praise. Okay, halal. I've got no clever Afrikaans quips for you. Sorry, but um, we'll have to do, do that one. So for David, halal translated meant dancing and singing and celebrating before God. Um, but it also means a life lived to God's glory. Um, and we see it so many times. We're going to look at that um, tonight. But he was accused of being undignified, hence the sermon series, undignified. This comes from David. And undignified means to act in a way that is unfitting, inappropriate, unacceptable, or to act foolishly. And so tonight's sermon is called Undignified, He is Worthy. But you have to say it like that. So everybody just go, undignified. Now just try that again, facial expressions as well. Undignified, He is Worthy. Okay. So when Fred and I met, um, we were both in a worship team. When Fred could sing and I pretended to sing, um, but we, we met there. I was hopelessly in love with Fred, thought he was amazing, still do. Um, but being part of that worship team, jumping was not optional, okay? It was part of the criteria. If you wanted to sing, you had to jump, okay? Um, and many times, the pastor would come up on a Sunday and the entire worship team would want to throw something at him because we're like, we're singing. <laughs> Shush. <laughs> we don't want to hear from you now. I think you all felt a little bit of that tonight, right? Yes, I hope so. But there were also many times that he would get up there and we're like, sure, not a moment too soon because, sure, tough crowd. <laughs> um, so I just want to stop right here and say to all the worship leaders, to all the musicians in the worship band, thank you for serving us when we sing and when we don't. Yeah. So in that time, Fred and I had a lot of conversations about worship. It's something we're passionate about. Um, and so we, we used to talk a lot about how did worship go? Did you enjoy worship? Was worship good for you? Did you enjoy that song? Did you feel God's presence? Um, people would come to us and say, wow, worship was great tonight. And sometimes people would come to us and say, hmm, not so great tonight. Um, and after Fred and I chatted through this many, many, many times, we started realizing that our approach to worship was completely wrong. Because if worship is about God, and if worship is a response to who God is and what he's done for us, then the better questions to ask would be, was my worship unto God good tonight? Did I bring a good song to God tonight? Did I worship him with all of my heart tonight? Was it worthy? Was it fitting of the King of Kings? And so, yeah, we had to come to this conclusion and this conviction. And so sometimes I still find myself saying it. I said it just before the service. Someone heard it. I don't know who it was, but I was like, the worship was amazing this morning. I'm sorry, Lord, that we still think worship is only amazing when we enjoy it. It should be about him, always. And so maybe you've asked these questions. Maybe you say these statements. <laughs> if you have, just slap yourself in the hands, okay, it's all right. We're going to grow it together tonight. And so I want us to take stock of what worship means to us. Is it about us or is it about God? 
Do we only enjoy worship on a Sunday when Eugene's on the band because he's got that energy or when we sing songs that are, you know, the latest trending songs um, or when you feel a certain thing happening in your heart or do you enjoy worshiping God just because he's worthy? Let's take stock of that tonight as we um, go to the word. I want you to just say this with me. Say, right place, right posture, right passion. I'm taking a leaf out of Neil's book. Actually, he stole one out of mine. Say, right place, right posture, right passion. So for quick context, because we're picking up um, in the middle of a story, let's just pray first. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth. Thank you that it is life. And I pray it will honor you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at the story of David who goes to fetch the ark of God. And so the ark of God, I hope you know by now, is a chest, a wooden chest, um, supposed to be to carry God's presence. Okay. So God asked Moses to make it back in the time, and his reason for the ark was that he wanted to dwell among his people. He wanted his presence to be with his people. And so this ark has been captured by the Philistines, which are Israelites' enemies. Um, it's been moved around from place to place because everywhere it goes, it's causing havoc because they're unclean people. People are dying. Their idols are falling over left, right, and center. They're breaking out in plagues. And so the Philistines just want to get rid of this thing. And so it lands in the house of Abinadab, where it stays for 20 years. So now, the worship that was supposed to be brought to God, the rituals, the sacrifices, the rules, all the things, the incense that had to be burned, had been neglected. Worship had been neglected for 20 years. And King Saul, when he is the king, does not concern himself with going to bring the ark back to a, a good place. He doesn't really care too much about God's worship, which is the reason he gets rejected by God as king in the first place, because he doesn't do things the way God tells him to do it. And so David, who is now a worshiper at heart, has just become the king of all of Israel. He's just taken new territory. He's, he's called it the city of David, and this is going to be the political um, capital of his kingdom, and he wants the ark with him. He wants God's presence with him. He cares about God's presence and the worship of God. So Donnie shared on the first sermon of this series, he shared about the first attempt of going to fetch the ark. And I'm not going to go there, but it was a big remorse. Is that a good word? Is that, a, is that an okay word? Yes. Okay, good. Um, so this is the second and the final attempt of fetching the ark. Okay, say right place. Right posture. Right passion. Okay, let's read together. I'm in 2 Samuel 6, verses 14. It says, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michelle, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, he was halaling, right? Going mad. She despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings 
before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. This doesn't sound wonderful to me, but I think it was good back then, right? To both men and women, all the people went to their homes. So this was a celebration, a, se- a dance, a celebration, songs, trumpets, feasts. They were going crazy. When David returned home to bless his household, Michelle, daughter of Saul, I just want you to note, daughter of Saul, not wife of David. She was his wife, but she was referred to as daughter of Saul. She had the same attitude as her dad towards God's worship. She comes out to meet him and says, listen to the sarcasm, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. So she is accusing him, you did not act in a fitting way today. David said to Michelle, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Right place, right posture, right passion. That's what we're going to learn from David in this story tonight. So the first thing we see here is that David gave God's worship the right place. So David, the first thing he does, he gets into this new territory The first thing he does is he prepares a tent. Now, we're not talking about a little two-man tent that we use when we go camping. It's like a tabernacle. It's a place where the ark is going to be positioned and where the worship of God is going to be restored. The sacrifices are going to take place. The incense is going to be burned. The priests and all those people are going to be there doing what they were asked to do originally. The right, the proper worship of God. So this was not a once-off celebration, right? This was a new way of doing it. So David was zealous about this. He writes in Psalm 132, he says, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So if you want to go and read in 1 Chronicles 16 and 17, it's exactly the same story, but it it gives you in detail the things he put in place to make sure that God was worshipped properly. It was his highest priority to prepare a place for God. Feel like this is a good moment to pause and ask ourselves some questions. Does God have the right place in our lives? Is God's worship our highest priority? Is the songs that we sing on a Sunday and the way that we live on Monday, is it by him, for him, in him, through him? Is it about him? Or is he just a little portion that sometimes we come and sing a couple of songs for? Is he first? Is he Lord? Is he the one that you take all your decisions to and he has the highest authority? He says yes, it's yes. He says no, it's no. He says, worship me, it's yes, Lord, with 
all of my heart. David made sure that God had the right place. His ark had the right place. It was a reflection of the fact that God held the right place in David's heart. Right place, right posture, right passion. So the second thing we see is that David took the right posture before God. You see, David was a king. He should have been wearing royal robes. But it says he was wearing a linen ephod. I think I'm saying that right. He was not naked, contrary to popular belief. He was wearing a garment that everybody else was wearing. A common linen garment that the priests and other Levites were wearing in the celebration of God. Now, I don't know why he did that. I'm just going to be honest. It doesn't say this is why David took off his royal robes. But I think there's two things we can learn from this. The first one is that maybe he just couldn't dance with royal robes on. Have you ever tried to jump and dance and go crazy with, like, stuff? He was so passionate about God that he wanted to worship God with all of him, unrestricted, unhindered, and so he laid aside his royal robes. Friends, I know it's true for myself. <laughs> what if someone sees me? What if I shout too loud? What if I look inappropriate? What are the things that we allow to hinder us in the way that we live for God? Is it the people at the office? Is it your parents? Is it your friends? Is it you? What are the things that you go like, I know God is deserving of worship, but like just this moment. Hallelujah. Instead of the, you know, all out, hallelujah. I can't do that now, otherwise I won't be able to talk. Or maybe the reason he took them off was because he wanted to declare before God that before I am king, you are king. You're the one who made me king. And when it comes to your worship, I've got no titles to cling to. You are God. Maybe he wanted to come before God and just be who he really was. And in this instance, that was the servant of the Most High King. Friends, who are we? We are the sons and the daughters of God, loved by God, loving God. That is the only title that we should cling to. Everything else, I don't even know what the titles are, whether it's best students, don't know what we call yourselves, sorry, <laughs> bad English, um, whether it's CEO, whether it's the most popular person on Facebook, whether it's a millennial or a Gen Z or a prim and proper well-raised person. I don't know what it is, but none of it, none of it should stick closer than son and daughter of the Most High King. And that should set us free to say, I don't care who's watching. I'm going to sing and I'm going to dance and I'm going to live for Jesus because he's worth it. Preach it, sister. The word halal means to boast in God. To boast in God. Friends, we've got nothing to boast of. The, the final exam we wrote with the highest marks don't count. They compare nothing with the glory of God. When we come to worship Him, we should let everything else fall, fall away and just worship Him because He's worthy of being worshipped. David says in Psalm 34, verses 1 to 3, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Friends, you can't exalt God when you're exalting yourself. You can't lift him up to be the highest place when you're trying to lift yourself up to be the highest place. And I know that we do this without realizing it. I know that I do this without realizing it. But it is worth saying, God, I need to maybe step back and take stock and ask, where is it that I allow my titles to stop me from worshiping you? Or my position? Or the way people think of me? He should have the right place. He deserves the right posture. And we should have the right passion. So David had the right passion for God. I love that it says David worshipped with all of his might. I, I really wish that I would be fit enough to dance and twirl and demonstrate what that might look like. But he gave it everything. He left nothing. He gave it everything. Now David is a man after God's heart. We've said it a few times this, this series. He's a man after God's heart. David has been a worshipper since a young boy. So I don't know if any of you know this, but King Saul, when he was still king, used to experience evil spirits. And before David slayed the giant, before he became the big war hero, they used to call David in to come and play the harp and worship so that it would chase the evil spirits away. David didn't start worshiping God when he became king. David's been worshiping God since he was a little shepherd boy. He is zealous about God. It was not... I want to be a war hero, so I'm going to take out Goliath. Let me make a name for myself. The reason he took out Goliath was because Goliath was mocking the armies of God. And he was like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why is he taking on my God? And he gets up there when a whole army couldn't do it. And he takes out the giant. He's passionate about God. He's not a perfect man. (laughs) David was a murderer. As we've heard, he was a cheater, as we've heard. But he was also quick to repent, quick to run after God when he realized his mistakes because he loved God. He was passionate about God. He was passionate about God's glory, and he knew that God had chosen him. He said to Michelle, if God chose me above your whole household, he was devoted to God. And so as we see David dancing and twirling and singing and making the biggest worship that he can, we see his passion for God in the way that he responds to his wife when she comes and tells him he's being undignified. She comes and shames him. His response is, I will be even more undignified than this. He says, I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Some versions say your eyes, whether it says your or mine, I think it's the same principle. I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what I think of me. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. And so if I need to be even more undignified than dancing and singing, I'll do it because he's worthy. See, friends, David's purpose in dancing and singing and being undignified was not to look stupid. On a Sunday when you come here, the idea is not to say, come on guys, worship God, make yourselves look stupid, then you're worshiping God. No, what happened was, he was so in love with God's presence, he was so busy worshiping God, he was so busy dancing and twirling and and just giving it 
everything with all his might, that to someone who did not value the worship of God, he looked undignified. The king shouldn't act like that. But when the king knows who the real king is, that's the only worship that is fitting for God, is to give it your all. David writes here in Psalm, um, Psalms 4 verse 7, he says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. In other words, there's no money, there's no status, there's nothing that can make me happier than knowing God, than loving God. And here's where I believe we should ask ourselves, is Jesus our greatest joy? Are you like all out passionate about God? Is he the one you can't wait to see face to face one day when you get to heaven? Or is he just a portion of the time? You know, what tends to happen when we've been serving Jesus for a while is we start to get familiar with him. We start to like, yeah, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for him. I love him. He's a good part of my life. But I don't want to look silly. Friends, we should be like, I don't care if I look silly. I don't care what my husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever sitting next to me thinks of me. And you know, we think that we won't think that, but there's many times that I walk through the mall and I think, okay, pray for that person. I'm like, no, what will friends think of me? He loves God. Why would he think anything? But why does it matter? Why do I care what Fred thinks of me? If Fred loves God, he'll think I'm amazing. And if he doesn't, I'm still going to choose God. That should be our attitude. Friends, I thankfully don't have anyone in my own household shaming me for when I worship God. And I don't want to take that lightly. There might be some of you that are sitting here that your parents don't approve or your brothers or sisters don't approve. And it's tough to be the all-out Love Jesus all the time in everything I do. Stand up for what I believe in. It's tough. I get that. But let's not let that be a reason that we don't worship God. Let's rather press into God and say, God, help me worship you even when I get opposition from my own household. Do we have the right passion? Friends, God is so passionate about us that he stripped himself of his royal robes too. And he came to this earth and he got more undignified than any of us will ever get. And his sole purpose was to save us so that he can be with us. So much did he love us. See, when God created man in the garden, the whole purpose was with man and when we messed it up and then he created an ark and the sole purpose I can't see any of you but that's okay the sole purpose was to be with his people and they couldn't come close to him he was with them but they couldn't come close to them because they would die they were unholy and unworthy and so God sent his son to come down here to be humiliated to be laughed at to be mocked to be murdered so that we as unholy people can be made worthy to be in his presence. Because he loves us. 
is passionate about us. And he is worthy of undignified worship. If that's what the world wants to be. Right place, right posture, right passion. Friends, this is not a do better message. Come on, guys, stand up and worship God properly. That is not this message. This message is there is a loving God who has paid everything that he's got to pay to be with you because he loves you. And if he's not the first thing in your heart, if he's not the one that you worship with all of you, and if he's not the one that you're passionate about, then there's a call tonight from your loving God saying, come closer, you're missing out. There's more for you. I love you. I want to be with you. I died to be with you. Don't stay away from me. Don't be unrestricted, uh, restricted in your praise. Don't put other things before me. I want to be the joy of your heart. So tonight, I'm not going to ask you to do a quick prayer or to, you know, raise your hand if you want to respond to Jesus. What I am going to ask you to do go and ask yourself the hard questions. This week, would you go and write down three headings? Right place, right posture, right passion. And ask, ask God to show you the areas of your life where there are things holding you back. Where maybe you haven't surrendered at all. Or maybe you just don't get joy from serving Jesus. And go and ask Him, Jesus, will you come and help me to love you the way that you love me? And he will do it, friends. He left heaven to do it. He will do it again. He's not going to stop doing it until he has all of us. And we should want all of him. Friends, let's be a people that just don't care what the world thinks because he is worthy.